Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 140th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, President of Sensei Enterprises, an information technology, cybersecurity, and digital forensics firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm Jim Calloway, Director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is Cybersecurity Basics for the Solo and Small Firm Lawyer. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Clio. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Thank you to Nexa, formerly known as Answer One. Nexa is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them online at nexa.com. Thank you to Scorpion. Scorpion sets the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com slash podcast. Thanks to ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. We are very pleased to have as our guest John Simic, who is the Vice President of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, cybersecurity, and IT firm in Fairfax, Virginia. He holds an impressive raft of technical certifications, is the co-author of 17 books, the co-host of the podcast Digital Detectives, and most importantly, he is married to my co-host, Sharon Nelson. So thanks for joining us today, John, as if you had a choice. <laughs> it's 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 a real pleasure, Jim, and uh, and I'm and I'm sure that you've heard and, and know Sharon and I just recently drove through your the entire state of Oklahoma on Route 66. <laughs> I heard that. I hope you enjoyed your uh, sojourn. Oh yes. Well, let's jump right in, John. What are the biggest cybersecurity issues for solo and small firm lawyers? Well, there's there's a there's a couple of them, Jim. Probably the two biggest ones I think are are ransomware. And business email compromise, BECs. But I don't think it's unique just to, to solo and small firm lawyers. It's pretty much in the whole cybersecurity world. Those are the two top areas that we see quite a bit. Uh, I know we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about ransomware as, as we go along, and hopefully folks are familiar with that. But those are the two main ones, I think, that attorneys need to be aware of. And not only can it impact their practice by potentially shutting them down, via ransomware, but they could lose a significant amount of money, especially if they're they're uh, subject to a to a business email compromise. So would it be fair to say, John, that password reuse is a giant no-no and that the failure to implement multi-factor authentication is a huge failure? Uh, it, it's a failure of competency, too, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and those are certainly some of the things that are going to help you avoid 
particularly the BEC, uh, the business email compromise things and, and account takeovers of your email, your email address or your, your credentials. But yeah, certainly it's quite a bit uh, and it doesn't really cost you much money, if any at all, to not <laughs> reuse the same password and have some sort of a multi-factor authentication enabled. Well, one of the topics that you and I have been just fascinated with these days is deep fakes in general, whether it's video or audio. But I think it's very hot these days looking at the deep fake audios because they are being used to impersonate CEOs, law firm partners, uh, anybody who has the power to order the transfer of money. Can you explain how this works and how to defend against these kind of attacks? Sure. I, I don't want to go into into the weeds, although I could, on, on really what deep fakes are all about. But basically, they're computer algorithms, computer programs, where they're using artificial intelligence to create something false, You know, whether it's video or, in the case of your question, uh, audios. And so what happens is that you feed a lot of good audio into this computer program. And you, you'll get samples of those from maybe from presentations, maybe, maybe you have a video on your website that uh, where one of the partners is talking about, uh, you know, a case that they've worked on or, or the type of practice that they do. Um, they give presentations, CLE presentations, or, or maybe they're even a podcast guest. So you gather all of this real audio, you feed it into this algorithm, into the computer system, and the computer then runs through all that, captures it, and then creates some sort of a, a fake audio version, if you will. Then another computer program checks that and determines whether or not it's good enough, is it real enough, and if, if there's any holes or anything that, that doesn't quite sound right, and it identifies those. And it basically tells the generator <laughs> computer that, you know, you messed up these two words. It didn't really sound right uh, as compared to the original. Well, then it goes back and forth. So these two computers go back and forth, and they, they basically test each other and they get better and better. And audio is it's much, much easier to do than video. It doesn't take as much horsepower to do that. And they can also give some credibility to the audio by uh, putting in some background noise or something like that. So almost like you're on your cell phone or something, or maybe there's a train in the background. So uh, it kind of masks some of that, uh, some of the audio that's there. So it sounds even, even more real. But where the audio is really, really effective is that once you've gathered this whole sampling, uh, you don't need to have the original person speak the actual words. So they use a text-to-speech kind of a, a program, and the computer will talk just as if <laughs> the real person was there. So I know uh, a, a lot of times what we've told folks in the past is that when you're giving wiring instructions or whatever, that you should talk to someone, right, to actually get verbal approval. Well, now with deepfake audios, it really draws into suspicion whether or not the person you're talking to is real or if it's actually a computer. So the best advice, I assume, would be for you to call that person at a known good number. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, don't, don't, that's, that, that's don't, 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 expect, don't, don't answer the phone because it might be the computer talking to you, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So a known good number is really, really important. Yeah, so you need to change your process, your procedures a little bit when you're talking about money transfers of any type. I'm just amazed at how many things we deal with now sound like science fiction of just a few decades ago, uh, and that's certainly <laughs> one of them. Wait till the robots arrive. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that really you, Jim? I, I, or was that a computer? <laughs> uh, I'm sure the computer could do a better job some days, but we'll let that go. I, I had a situation some time ago where I believe a lawyer actually had his Office 365 account taken over by a wrongdoer. And I, I think that's really a terrifying concept. It ended well. And of course, we implemented some things so it won't happen again. But could you talk about account takeover attacks and how you fight those? Yeah, account takeover attacks or ATAs, you know, we're all used to getting potentially spoofed emails, right, that appear to be coming from someone else. Well, when someone actually takes over your account, it's not, quote, spoofed. It's the real account <laughs> coming at you. So there isn't anything phony about it. And so when someone gets a hold of your credentials, your login credentials, and Office 365, I'm glad you said that, Jim, because there's, uh, it's attacked constantly because it's become so popular now. If you have a very, very weak password or weak login credentials, or you, use, you reuse that password over and over, like what Sharon talked about earlier, then there's a chance that somebody's going to be able to gain access to your account and then read all your emails, all your historic emails, all that stuff, and even send out emails as if you sent them out. So a couple of things. Make sure that you've got strong credentials. So that means strong passwords, certainly one that you don't use anywhere else. You shouldn't be reusing passwords anyway. But the, one of the bigger things is to enable multi-factor authentication and, and turn that on. And with Office 365, particularly depending on the subscription version that you're running, it may be included free if you're using one of the enterprise versions. Like E3 and above, uh, you can turn on uh, MFA. If you have a lower subscription version, though, uh, maybe just the professional version, then you can add on uh, what they call Azure Rights Management. And when you add that on, it's only a few bucks a month more, you will get the ability to do multi-factor authentication uh, to your account. So attorneys really should consider that. If, if it's not part of their, uh, their subscription, talk to your IT folks and find out what it would take for you to get that and turn that on. And that pretty much is going to block and stop any of those account takeover attacks. Well, one of the things that people sometimes ask us, John, is, is you know, is fishing still big? Uh, and, and I got to say, because I'm always there lecturing with you, that, yeah, it's still big. So why mm -hmm. don't you give us some tips about how to defend against phishing? Well, phishing is, is the root of, of BECs, right, the business email compromises. So whether it's targeted phishing, which is spear phishing, or just, you know, garden variety fishing, but training is the biggest thing, is to train your employees. And you can train them a couple of different ways. One is through, you know, on, on site, which is what we do, and do a live training session. But doing fishing simulations throughout the year is also advantageous. Uh, so you should consider doing that too, primarily because the attacks vary. As time goes on, and you know this, Sharon, we've seen some really, really clever phishing emails that are really difficult to determine whether they're real or not. And so the simulations will help educate the employees and also to show them how things have changed as, as time goes on, uh, the new types of attacks. Yeah, I think you're right. They're always amazed to see that, for instance, they get a, an attachment or a Dropbox link. They don't think twice about clicking on it. And they get something that appears to come from someone who's involved, maybe as co-counsel or their adversary uh, counsel. And again, they don't think twice. Um, you know, was I expecting this? Does it make sense? Does the substance in the email make any sense? They just don't think about it. Well, it's, it's particularly uh, tough, I think, for attorneys because a lot of the things that attorneys are involved in is, is part of a public record. 
So those the case names, the the opposing counsel, all that. So if I you know if I build a little bit more on what Jim's question was before, if I'm able to take over an account of an attorney, I can go through and look at those cases and what's there. Then I can craft an email to them and say, hey, here's the discovery materials for such and such a case, and uh, you know log in in order to view those, and they'll they'll send them a page or link that goes and looks just like a Microsoft OneDrive account or whatever it is. And then they're going to go and type in some login credentials. So now they've got the other person's login stuff and it just builds and builds. John, I like to stress to our lawyers, particularly the smaller firm lawyers, to always tell your staff that they will not get in trouble delaying on clicking on a link or clicking on an attachment if they need to call you on the phone and verify it or call the opposing counsel. I think that's very important that everybody on the team is aware of that. No, that's that's certainly for sure, and I think one of the, one of the things, uh, the big fishing thing, Jim, that that I've been seeing recently here in the last month or two, are those kinds of login things where you uh, maybe it appears to come from somebody that you really know, but when you go to the web page, the web page is actually hosted on Microsoft, right? It's it's part of, it's it's an Azure site, so they've actually created accounts. On Microsoft, you used to be able to hover over and, you know, click and say, oh, yeah, I don't know, recognize that domain. Well, the darn domain is Microsoft now. <laughs> Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to market your law firm aggressively and generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up with the code TDE10. Of course, you can find Clio at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is cybersecurity basics for the solo and small firm lawyer. And our guest is John Simic, the vice president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensic cybersecurity and IT firm in Fairfax, Virginia. John, I know it seems like ransomware has been around forever now, but it also seems like many lawyers and sometimes solo and small firm lawyers are still confused about it. What is the essential information that they need to know? Well, you're, you're right, Jim. Ransomware has been around for a long time. It continues to morph. We're still seeing attacks you know, constantly about it. But essentially what ransomware is, is a piece of malware that encrypts your data with an encryption key that you don't own or don't know about. And then they effectively will hold that data hostage because you don't have access to it until you pay a ransom. 
some sort of fee, typically through some cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or whatever, in the hope that you will get a valid decryption key to be able to, to get access to your data back, so to decrypt it. The bad news is that if you know, you're one of the unlucky ones that, that does contract ransomware, don't pay them because it's probably less than 50% of the time you'll get a decryption key that actually works. Uh, so backup is really your friend. If you do get ransomware and it does overtake your systems and encrypt your data, just restore back from a good known backup set. So that's extremely, extremely important. I know a lot of solo small firms, uh, their, their backup method is of choice is, is external USB drives. And, th and that's fine. You know, they, maybe they rotate them around. But when you're done backing up, make sure you unplug that. Because if that USB drive is still plugged into the machine and you get ransomware, then it's not only going to encrypt your computer, it's going to encrypt all the other drives that are connected to it, including that USB backup drive, and even a server if you're connected over the network. There's some variants of ransomware that will, will encrypt the server contents uh, you know, via the network. But be particularly careful of, of any links or any attachments, which is how ransomware tends to be delivered. And you know, as Sharon said earlier, if you're not expecting to, to get something from someone, uh, that doesn't mean that you should, you know, open it up. <laughs> Another thing that we've noticed every time we lecture is that the solo and small firm lawyers, they want to do the right thing, but they're really nervous about the expense of cybersecurity. So what kind of free and low cost alternatives can you recommend? Well, I, you know, there's some things that really don't cost anything and it's all part of what you already use, you know, what the lawyers already use. Um, let's talk about encryption. Encryption is going to, to help and protect your, your data. If you have a, any kind of a smartphone, whether it's an Android or, or an iPhone, just enabling a lock code, you know, whether it's uh, some pin, some passphrase, uh, your touch ID or anything like that, any biometrics type thing, it will encrypt the contents of that phone. And that doesn't cost you anything. It's built in to that. If you're a Windows 10 professional user, which you should be, uh, not Windows 10 Home, then Windows 10 professional has built-in encryption. It has BitLocker, but it's not turned on, so you just turn that on, uh, enable that. If you're a Mac user, File Vault 2 is included within the Mac OS, but it's not enabled. You have to turn it on. So those are all f some free things. Uh, you know, password managers. We talked about password reuse. Get yourself a password manager. There's some free ones that are out there, but there's some very low cost ones too. Uh, maybe it'll only cost like 15 bucks a year or something. So make sure that you have something like that. Get used to using a password manager so that you can keep track of all of your passwords uh, and not end up reusing them. So those are just some simple things that, uh, that the solo and small firm uh, lawyer can use and it doesn't cost a lot of money. John, I know you're really fond of Cisco Meraki. Can you explain what it is and what its costs are to our listeners? Sure. As much as I've talked about the Cisco Meraki product line, Jim, uh, it, it's really unfortunate that Sharon and I don't get any kickback from Cisco for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's what what the Meraki product line is is a uh, it's a device, a combination firewall, wireless access point, edge security device. So you basically connect it in the same place that your firewall router, whatever it is that you have now today. Uh, it's cloud configurable. 
it's an excellent product, I think, for all kinds of law firm sizes, but in particularly the solo and small because it's not very expensive. The hardware itself uh, runs a few hundred bucks, 300 to $400 in that range. And for that amount of money, you get the firewall, you get the wireless access point, but you also get intrusion detection and intrusion prevention system as well, which a lot of law firms don't have. But what I really like about the Meraki is that it participates in the Cisco Meraki network. So what it does is it anonymizes data, that's traffic that's moving in and out of, the, of your network, sends that information off to Cisco. Cisco uses it, and they have artificial intelligence as well, like, like big data analytics. So that all, across the entire world, all the Meraki devices communicate to Cisco, and Cisco analyzes those. And the example I, I tell folks is that what if there was a brand new strain of malware that was discovered in Dubai, and all of a sudden the Meraki devices in Dubai are getting attacked? That data then goes to Cisco. Cisco sees that and goes, oh, my God, we now need to block certain IP addresses, certain ports, uh, or we need a fix and a configuration fix to the devices in order to stop these attacks from, from entering the network. They then push that automatically to all other Meraki devices in the world. And so you get the advantage of getting an automatic update from somebody else's experience, right, in, in Dubai. So that's what I really like about it. The subscription service, uh, it's done uh, on an annual basis. Uh, when we put these in, um, and we do a lot of these uh, in our solo small firm attorneys, we'll do a three-year subscription. So between the, the hardware and the three-year subscription, uh, which only costs you a few hundred dollars a year as well, typically the solo small can walk away in the $1,200 to $1,400 range for that three years of protection, which I think is very, very reasonable. One of the things we can't seem to ever escape, a question that everyone has, is how do I use Wi-Fi, public Wi-Fi, securely? And that, that's just a constant. So what are your recommendations there? Uh, don't use it. <laughs> no. That's, a, <laughs> that's kind of an oxymoron, right? Public Wi-Fi and securely. Um, it's, <laughs> you, you, you can, but you know, when, given the choice, I would suggest not using public Wi-Fi. Uh, use your own hotspot off your phone as an example, because there's a lot of evil things that can happen out there. And, and I know you and Jim both were, were at, at Tech Show that one year that I, I demonstrated my Wi-Fi pineapple and captured close to 50 you know, wireless connections <laughs> from, from people. So there are things like that that are out there. But if, but if you have to, if you have to use public Wi-Fi, then you certainly want to protect that data transmission. Uh, use a VPN. So the minute you connect up to that public Wi-Fi, then enable your VPN. Uh, having said that, though, make sure that your VPN is properly configured. And that means, you know, check with your IT folks if you're not, you know, technically capable of, of configuring that. The biggest mistake that I see folks do with, with VPNs is domain name resolution. They don't channel and pump that through the VPN. They use the DNS of the Wi-Fi provider that they're connecting to. And that's, that's a problem because that can be compromised and spoofed. And you'll end up going somewhere where you didn't intend to go. Well, you know, a lot of people listening to you are going to say, what the hell did he just say? So <laughs> so go back and listen again, back back it up and listen a little, and then go ask your IT provider if right. you didn't understand it, because this is not intuitive to most people, what John just said. But you do need, it's important though. Yeah, just make sure that your IT folks have properly configured it and the DNS requests are using the VPN tunnel and they're not using the Wi-Fi that you're connecting to. 
John, I, I deal with a lot of solo and small firm lawyers whose IT folks are either non-existent or a local contractor who may not have your level of expertise, shall we say. I often recommend they look at the reviewed uh, Wi-Fi, you know, go to PC Mag or someplace like that and look at the top reviewed programs, editor's choice and whatever. Is that going to help a little bit or do you still need to figure out that configuration issue? Well, you still, even getting the best VPN, Jim, is not going to help you if you don't configure it right. But but yes, you should be using, you know, trusted, well-known, and I would not use a free VPN, by the way. <laughs> uh, pay a little bit of money for it. Uh, NordVPN is one of the top ranked ones and it, it's top ranked year after year. But there's another website that you can go to. Um, oh shoot, what is that, Sharon? Is uh, that privacy one? I think is is what it's uh, is the URL where a guy has oh I don't know how many hundreds. We'll, of VPNs. we'll put that in the show notes, John. Okay. <laughs> yeah, John, John. John, just give us to it at the end there, and we'll we'll get that up on the notes. But that one, it, it has ratings for the the various uh, VPNs and what they do. You know, are they do they log things? Do they not log things? Uh, that kind of stuff. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit ServeNow.com. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm's software, and much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is cybersecurity basics for the solo and small firm lawyer. And our guest is John Simic, the vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Let's talk about connecting remotely to the law firm network. I know a lot of solo and small firm lawyers are using practice management solutions, so they don't do that anymore. But if you do want to connect to your network, how do you do that securely? Well, you, cer you certainly need some sort of a, um, an encrypted connection, Jim. Uh, a VPN is, is one alternative to do that. I know what a lot of sm solo small firm lawyers will is use some sort of a remote control kind of a, a, a program like uh, go to my PC or log me in or something like that. Those programs do encrypt that channel that connection. Uh, and so that is, that is a secure way to, to gain access. And it's not real expensive to, to use any of those services. But that's, that's generally what we see most often in the solo small is that remote control package. Uh, larger firms are going to have a terminal server because they're going to support multiple connections and all that. But we don't generally see that in the, in the solo small firms. So we've touched on a lot of the basics today, John, but I, I know we've left some out. So give us a, a, I don't know, one, two, three, whatever you want, a few more of your favorite cybersecurity tips. 
Well, if, if you travel at all, then I would say make sure that you patch your, your systems, you know, install your updates before you travel. Because if you're at a hotel or whatever, you're connecting that, that public Wi-Fi, you don't want to have to install updates uh, while, while you're there because they may, it may tell you that there's an update available, which is bogus. Uh, and they're actually attacking uh, hotel Wi-Fi uh, networks uh, to do that, to compromise uh, your machine. So that's one thing. Password managers we talked about. I'm a real big fan of password managers. I think we're at the point in, in our technology lives where everyone has to have one. We should, everyone should have one and, and use it. And then a couple other items, um, and I know this is a pet peeve of, of, of mine and yours, Sharon, is browsers. Don't let the browser save your password. Remember your password. I know that's convenient, but you just don't want to do that. You don't want your password sitting in that browser configuration, that cache. Uh, at any time, uh, it might get compromised. You don't know how well the, the, the browser manufacturers are protecting that data. Just don't, don't let the browser save it. And then, then a couple of uh, resources for, for listeners. One of my favorite ones is uh, you can subscribe free to what's called the SANS Ouch newsletter. If you go there, you'll get, and they'll give you security tips and the latest trends that are there. But also consider joining InfraGuard, which is also free. You'll have to, you know, submit a background check in, the, in that. But once you've signed up for InfraGuard, then there's all kinds of uh, resources that they have to, to help you out as far as the latest trends and, and how to fix things. And, oh, hey, we found this new Windows, uh, you know, vulnerability, and, and here's where you go to get the, the update or et cetera. It is a good thing to do, but it's also it's arduous to get through the process, and you have to uh, mm -hmm. really really strip down to your skivvies uh, for the sake of, of being a member, because they're going to ask about any time you ever got arrested for anything, uh, things like that. So it it is uh, a little little more intrusive than some people are comfortable with, but the information they give you uh, in return is wonderful. So I yep. agree with you. John, thank you as always for being our guest. Uh, it's wonderful to have cybersecurity kind of made more clear than it usually is. You're very good about bringing things down and and telling things in English, which which lawyers can understand. And as I interrupted you once during the presentation, I know when they're going to get confused. <laughs> um, so it's great to have all that information. And I'll give you a full review tonight over dinner, my dear. Thank you, John. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, being with you too. That does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge. Produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.